and Champion for us. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them and turn to James chapter 1. In just a few minutes, your campus pastor is going to be here to preach, but I wanted us to begin this new series together on the same page. This is what we call Kickoff Sunday. The fall season of our church is officially here, and I cannot wait for us to unpack the book of James over the next few months. One of the reasons we chose to go through this letter in the New Testament is because it's been referred to as the most practical book in all of the Bible. In the spring, we talked about doctrine, and we discussed what we believe and why what we believe matters. Well, James is all about living our faith out in everyday life. In fact, out of the 108 verses that make up this book, over 50 of the verses are imperatives, they're commands. The entire thrust of this letter is about action. Does our behavior really line up with what we say we believe? For James, this is the question of the day. He wants believers to have sincere and genuine beliefs. His point is, if they are truly genuine and sincere beliefs, then it should affect all of life. Someone said it like this, faith is the root of our salvation. Works are the fruit of our salvation. In other words, our faith should influence every area of our life. And James is going to speak specifically to how our faith influences and directs the way that we react to trials and temptations in life, the way we treat one another and talk to one another, the way we resolve conflict, the way we handle money, the way in which we pray. I'm telling you, this book hits on so many topics that are relevant and applicable to our lives today. So I want to encourage you to come ready to hear from the Lord. Bring your Bibles, bring your journal or notebook and take notes, lean in and let this small letter in the New Testament make a big impact in your life. My prayer as we get going today is that God will use our time together in this book to make us all in the words of James to be doers of the word. This is what our world needs more than anything. If we localize it, I'm telling you, this is what Northwest Houston needs. This is what Jersey Village and Cypress and Klein Spring, Tomball. This is what they need more than anything. It needs people who say they're following Jesus and actually talking and acting and living like Jesus. I'm so excited for us to begin this study together. And I want us to start right now in prayer and ask God to bless the teaching and preaching of his word. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we invite you into this place today and we ask you to speak to our hearts. We want to leave here a changed people by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. And let the church say amen. Amen. If God has blessed you through all that has happened thus far, will you just go ahead and praise God in this place as we thank him for his goodness. Thank him for our praise team, our media ministry. And this is Kickoff Sunday, where our young people have launched to their next season in life groups, and we are launching into our season of ministry. We're launching into this fall season. I know it doesn't feel like it outside, but fall is coming. Um, and if you're not like me, then you're, you're waiting for the fall to come. Just a few of us in here, we enjoy the summer season. Okay, just me then. Just, 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 just me. I'm, I'm all by myself. And that's all right. I stand by myself. It's okay. Um, but I hope you got your Bibles open. Go ahead and join me, as Pastor has said, in this rich text that, that we'll be leading and teaching us in this fall series. And this letter is from James. Your Bibles may have the epistle of James or the letter of James. And I want to invite your attention to the first chapter and the first verse. James, the first chapter beginning at the first verse. It begins this way. James, a servant 
of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. That's good right there. James, this, this rich letter, this rich letter is going to reveal to us what God expects of us. And when I say us, I'm speaking primarily and specifically to those who believe in Christ Jesus, to those who took the step like Taiwan demonstrated in baptism, that they are following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And this letter, this book teaches us that faith in God should result in behavior that is in harmony with God's will. It's, it shows us, as you read it in your leisure time, that God is calling. i got to use a better word than that. He is commanding that we live by faith. And here in this book, James, unlike any other New Testament writers, James mentions more believers from, by name from the Old Testament than any New Testament writer. And if you look at their Vita, their CV, if you look into their uh, profiles, if you would, uh, and on the pages of Scripture, there's something you would note. James, he mentions believers like Abraham and Rahab and, and Job and Elijah. And when you study God's Word, there's something you learn about all those who are mentioned in the text. In fact, majority of believers mentioned in the Bible have this core characteristic. And it's the same characteristic that you and I are to have and to develop. There are times when Joshua was seen as a man of courage. There are times when Rahab was seen as a daughter of courage. There are times when David was seen as a man that stood for God. But when it came down to describing these individuals, God described them in one word. And that word was servants. They were servants of God. And so James, he uh, pins on his profile page the introduction of who he is. It's right there. He, he pins there his name. He wants everybody to understand who this letter is coming from and also who this letter is about. He pins his name. Come on and come with me just for a moment uh, because it demonstrates to us how we ought to show up in our lives. That many of us, if you search on some other people, if you search their public profile, what's on paper don't match what's in person. Hmm. Could that be said of us? Because... Our faith in God should be reflected in how we see ourselves and how we show up for others. Check out James. James, this. Uh, James is in a unique family. He is the half-brother of Christ. They have the same mother, Mary. This is James. James uh, is called out of uh, the, the believers to actually later on in his life lead uh, the first church uh, let me put it this way, the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. This, this, is, this is James. J James, but James, before we get there, now, James was in Jesus' family, family tree, but he was also in the household of Jesus because Jesus was his older brother. And of all the things for James to put on his profile page, he doesn't put the notoriety of where he comes from. 
He doesn't name drop who he knows. No, James just introduces himself as a servant. Uh, you don't get it. You don't get it. Uh, uh, now, if you and I were James and you described yourself, how would you? Okay, I'm not going to ask you. I'm just, just ask me. You know, I, I, I don't know. I think I'd be tempted to say, you know, I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. And my brother, get this, you won't believe this, is, <laughs> is Jesus. But Kim, I can understand too why James probably uh, wouldn't want to say that because, you know, just thinking about it, when he's growing up in a household with Jesus, Mary might be asking him, why aren't you more like your older brother? And the truth is, when you, you look at his life, uh, James didn't start out as a believer. No, he, he actually, even though he grew up in the same household, James, this James, was once an unbeliever. He did not believe that his brother was indeed the Savior of the world, God in flesh, the Son of God. In fact, John writes that in John 7 and 5. For John says, for not even Jesus' brothers believed in him. But then something happens between John chapter 7 and Acts chapter 1. Because by the time we get to Acts chapter 1, the Bible declares in that 14th verse, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, that the, mo the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So something happened in James' life from John 7 to Acts chapter 1. And what happened in James' life is that he was able to witness the life of Christ. He witnessed uh, the miracles of his brother, but he also witnessed the power of his brother to love us enough to die on Calvary's cross for each and every one of us. But it didn't stop there because there between John and Acts, not only did our Savior die and was buried, but three days later, early in the morning, he rose from the grave showing that he has all power in his hand. And because of what he's done, on Calvary's cross, you and I can be saved. You and I can be forgiven. You and I can be redeemed. And not just us, it shows a transforming power when you believe in Christ because James went from being an unbeliever to a believer because of the work of Christ. Amen. And just in case you forget, it's also how you and I become believers. When we are personally introduced to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, somebody knows that changes your life. Somebody knows that when I came to, to know God for myself and was introduced by the love of God, to the, that I received the peace from God and forgiveness from God, and that's a personal experience. And when you accept him, it's the kind of experience you'll never forget. Because it'll, it'll transform you. Look at how it transforms James. Because James comes and he introduces himself, himself as a servant. So James' profile is a profile of humility. And our Christian identity ought to reflect that our lives are characterized by humility. That, that when people see us, engage with us, they ought to first, first see the Christ in us before they know anything else about us. I hope you catch this. Amen. That when Christ is in you, he's your Lord, he's your Savior, that ought to exude out of you that even if people can't put their finger on it, they're able to say, there is something different about 
you. And then it allows you to say, oh, you're wondering? I, I won't tell you. Before I tell you where I work and, and before I tell you where I grew up and before I tell you how much stocks I have and before I tell you uh, what I do for a living and before I tell you how many kids that I have, uh, before I tell you I got a grandchild, bless her name, bless her heart, uh, I mean, before I tell you uh, all that's making up in my genealogy, I got to tell you that I'm a servant of the Most High God. That the most important thing for James in his identity is the one who saved him. And at the core of who we are, brothers and sisters, if you are a believer, at the core of your characteristics should show that you are a servant. A servant. One who belongs to God. Uh, that's what he says. He says uh, he, he belongs to God. In fact, in Galatians 2 and 9, it says, And when James and Cephas and John, who se- whom seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to Paul, they gave him the right hand of fellowship and to Barnabas, uh, that they would go to the Gentiles and, and minister. Check this out. That James not only experienced the work of God in his own life, but God has used him now to be a blessing in the lives of others. This is James. It's his Christian identity. I love this because nothing comes before James' declaration of being a servant. He, he's known. He identifies himself. He sees himself as a servant of God. He says, I'm a servant of God. A servant of who? Of God. See, some of you right now, you're already thinking, you're disconnected, you're already thinking about what you're going to do when you leave here. Shame on you. Come on back here uh, just for a moment. Uh, because some of you right now, you're, you're trying, should, should I make reservations? Are we going to make it there in time for, 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 for the, the restaurant? Um, well, he just read one verse. I mean, we, we should be able to get out of here in about 15 minutes. Um, no. but James says, I'm a servant of, of God. And this, this word he uses here is, is doulos in the Greek, which means I'm a bond servant. I, I'm permanently under the possession of God. I, I'm a permanent servant. I'm not going anywhere. I do what God tells me to do. Come here for a moment. because I know some of you right now, you're going to go to your favorite restaurant. And when you go to your favorite restaurant, you're going to be sitting at the table. And you're going to sit at the table, and somebody's going to come up to you. And what they're going to tell you, but dog is, can I take your, can I take your order? Why? Because they are serving you. I think the problem is sometimes we get this thing inverted, that we think God is a servant. And we're the ones who are giving the orders. Oh, but when you consider who God is, the creator of all that is to see God, who God is, the holy God, there is none like him. You understand that you don't order God. No, no, no. God calls the shots. He's sovereign. He's king. He's above all. He is all and all. It is God and God alone who sits on the throne. And when you line up with his agenda, you become his servant and you listen and respond in obedience to what he tells us to do. James says, I'm, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus. Mm, but not only does he say that, I'm, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. He demonstrates not only is servitude our Christian identity, but it's also our Christian opportunity. Because I told you, we are to call to serve God. Um, and just in case we get this thing confused, God does not need us to serve him. Mm-hmm. The fact to say God and need in the same sentence 
and not put God is who I need, you're not talking about the same God. Because God doesn't need us. God welcomes us, which means we don't, he don't need us to serve. We get to serve. Mm. Uh, you, you, I, think, I think what's happening, Wileen, is sometimes we miss it uh, because we, we're trying to figure out well, what would be my motivation to serve. Because we think that, well, if I serve, what do I get when I serve? We got that thing mixed up because the reason we serve is because we, we already have gotten Mm, you missed it, didn't you? Uh, that, that, that we serve God because of what God has already done. That when you know that God's been good to you, when you know that God has blessed you, when you know that God has redeemed you, when you know that God has been with you, when you know God hasn't given up on you, that's why we serve. I serve him because he's a good God. Uh, he, he's good. James says, I'm a servant of God. Oh. And Lord Jesus Christ. He's identifying that, that not only does he belong to God, but he takes his, his leadership cues from the Lord. Yeah, he said, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the leader. He is the overseer of my life. And when you take the opportunity to serve God, following the Lordship of Christ, you become a believer, and now service becomes your Christian responsibility. Amen. Did you catch this? Yeah. Because if we follow Christ, then that means we are Christ-like, yeah. which means we do. Okay, you, have, you know what? Uh, any of y'all grew up um, before um, game, game systems? Uh, a few of us in here, you know, you know, before Nintendo. Before, okay, do you remember the Atari? Yeah. Okay, I'm talking to you. Uh, before the Atari came out, um, kids played outside. Uh -huh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and when you played outside and, and you didn't have all the accoutrements uh, of, of these days of uh, toys and, and games, no, no, you had to use your imagination and you, you made... Anybody here? You, you made up games. You made up games. We had one bad game. You, you got to catch this now. It's called It. That's all it was called. Just, just, just it. it no, no, long, no, long, no long names. And it wasn't a lot of rules to the game. It's just that if you were touched, you were. That's it. That's it. Uh, and, and as long as you're it, you're trying to find somebody, you touch them, and they were. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. All right. Uh, but, but then there was another game Doug used to play called uh, uh, Follow the. You, you got it. Some of y'all, y'all don't know what I'm talking about, huh, young people? It's, it's okay. okay. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. This is a kickoff Sunday, so we're going to kick some stuff off. Uh, and the, way, the way you follow the leader is you do what the leader does when the leader does it the way the leader does it. And when we are Christians, we are called to follow our leader who is Christ, which means we don't do it the way we want to do it. We don't do it when we feel like doing it. We do it the way he does it because he's the leader of our lives. Mm, that's why Jesus, when he came, he taught his disciples. In Matthew 20, he said, in terms of, of um, being, being humble, he says, uh, in leading people, he says, it shall not be said among you that you're lording over anybody. But he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. He goes on in, um, in Mark 9, when Jesus takes his disciples and he, he sits them down and he tells them as they're wondering who's going to be the greatest, he says, if any would be first, he must be last and servant of, you getting here? 
all. Notice consistency here. You must be a servant. You must be a servant. In Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking about the final judgment, He's talking about how um, in the final judgment, that's going to be a litmus test. It's not going to be about how many, uh, how many church services you attended. It's not going to be about, about how many books of the Bible you know. No, he says in the final judgment, there's going to be a test. He said, because uh, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was thirsty, did you give me something to drink? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was in prison, did you visit me? When I was sick, did you come to me? And they looked at him and said, well, master, when were you sick? And when were you in prison? And when were you hungry? And this is what he says. He said, the master said to him, well, well, um, whatever you do to the least of these, Matthew 25 and 40, you've done unto me. Uh, because God has called us to a life of service. Can you say that? Service. God has called us to a life of service. And this life is our opportunity to respond in gratitude for all that God has done in our life. So that when Christ comes back in Matthew 25, he can say, well done, thy good and faithful. You're getting it right there, right? It's all about being a servant. And every now and then, the alarm has to go off in our lives when we're going down the road trying to figure out uh, what we are supposed to do, when we're supposed to do it. And like God will bring an alarm your way to remind you, you're not supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to follow him who is in charge because you are to be a a servant. Come on, Anthony, get this thing because it's about to drive me crazy. <laughs> that was the alarm going off. Telling you. <laughs> You're to be a servant. We, we don't always like this in our westernized society because we're always told that we're to take the lead and we ought to, we're to jump out in front. But God, that's not the way God operates. That's the way Christ has called us to be. He's called us as believers to be servants of the Lord God. In John 12, 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Y'all, we got to live a life of service. I remember one year, a couple of years back, I I must have did a mission trip marathon. That's what I'm going to call it. It was a mission trip marathon. I'm going to tell you about this marathon. See, the way it went down was um, I was invited to train some missionaries and pastors uh, in Panama. And so I went down to Panama uh, and stayed there for, for some time and uh, trained them. But then after I left Panama, I then flew to Nairobi, Kenya. Flew to Nairobi, Kenya, um, and there trained some uh, missionaries and, and supported uh, some of the work that we have there. But when I left Nairobi, Kenya, I had to fly then to Colombia. Are you with me in this place? Okay, so I went to Panama, and then I flew to Nairobi. And I went from Nairobi, and I flew back over the pond to Colombia. And so I'm in Colombia. And something, as soon as I got there, I realized that there was a stark contrast between my experience in Panama and Nairobi than when I got to Colombia. Hmm, I'm coming, I'm happy to understand this thing. Because when I landed first, in my first layover, I landed in Bogota. And as soon as I got off the aircraft, I knew I wasn't in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Everywhere I looked, there were signs, but it wasn't in the language that I spoke. Everybody I heard was, was, was speaking, but they weren't speaking in the language that I knew. And there I was, Doug. I, I was standing all around, and I, I said, uh, um, uh, you know, that American entitlement tried to ro roll it up in me. Uh, and I said, uh, does anybody here speak English? They <laughs> said, you're not in America. They say, no English, no English, no English. 
That, that's what it meant? No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 that. There you go, there you go. I, 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 was, I was there. I hope you catch it. I was there. I, I was lost. I, I, I couldn't understand my boarding pass. I, I didn't know what gate I was supposed to go to. Uh, even the numbers had the wrong names on them. And I'm looking, I'm going to every gate agent, help me, help me, help me. But they couldn't understand me, so they couldn't help me. And God would have it. I turned over and I saw a gate agent. And she had something hanging around her neck, uh, a cross. And I looked at her, I said, well, we might not have the same language, but we got something in common. And I went over to her and I, I looked at her and I said, I said, I, I need some help. She said, I don't, in her language, I, I don't speak English. Uh, she said, I said, but I need some help. Uh, she said, she said, uh, aki, aki, aki. I didn't know what it meant then, but when she was doing this, I just kept on coming. <laughs> and catch this, even though I was lost and I didn't understand where I was, uh, she had enough compassion apart, uh, upon me that she was pointing me to the right direction. We wouldn't understand each other in language, but our hearts were connected and she was determined to get me where I was supposed to be. She didn't get anything for it. She wasn't known. She, was known, she wasn't given any credit for it. She was there to serve me because she was a child of God. Come in, saints of God. God is using you, wants to use you, that you will be that kind of servant, that you'll see somebody who's lost, who doesn't know the Lord, don't know which way to go. You'll see them and you'll serve them. This is, this, is, this is what he's calling us to do. It's our Christian responsibility to be a servant. This is what we're, we're called by God to do. Matthew 10, 42 through 45, uh, and Jesus called them and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even, get this, our Savior, even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to are you getting this just yet? We can't say we are Christians and we are not living a life of service because our Savior came to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. Where are you serving? Hmm? How are you serving? In your household, are you a servant or a dictator? How are you serving? In your workplace, are you serving or are you criticizing? How, how are you serving? Can God say to you, well done? Hmm? Because the time's going to come when our inspection is going to happen. One of those uh, shows I was watching, because um, I hadn't watched television in a while, and uh, so I'm trying to catch up on a few things. Um, and so there was a show that came on uh, where executives, uh, those who are high up in the, in the corporation, uh, they, they, they disguise themselves, and they go down to the lower part of the corporation, uh, to the entry level, and they start to engage the employees there. Uh, undercover yeah, undercover boss. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and you know how that thing goes, right? They go in and they, they inspect. They see the attitude of the workers. And some workers, when they don't know they're watching, they're not working well. And others who are deemed to be uh, excellent model employees are the ones who want to be caught doing good. Which are you? Are we only a servant when others are watching? We are serving because God has been so good that we want to be caught doing good for him. 
Because James, in writing, he writing and he says, I'm a servant of the Lord. And it's seen in what he does. Because the text says that he is writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. He's writing to believers. If you look at the first chapter, he's keeping saying, he continues to say, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers. He's not speaking so much to the outside community. He's speaking to the believers in Christ. And he's telling them, introducing himself to them as a servant. Reminding them that whatever season they're in, they are supposed to serve. He's not calling them to gather together as one church. He's addressing their needs where they are. Because he is not only teaching it, he's behaving in it. He is expressing a concern for others. He's willing to go the distance. You know, in Galatians, the sixth chapter and the 10th verse, the message translation says it this way. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get a chance, not, not sometime, but every time we get the chance. Let's work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in our community of faith. And this is what James is doing. He is writing to encourage those who are going through a difficult season. They're in a hard place. They're not in a peaceful community. No, they've been scattered because of all the oppression and persecution that were happening there in the early church, and he's concerned about what was happening in their lives. He's not just concerned about what's happening in his life. He's concerned about all those who are believers and their struggles, and he's willing to minister to them. Let me tell you how this works. Um, 2005. 2005, my family and I, we were evacuating the city of New Orleans, not just us, but most residents of New Orleans were evacuating the city of New Orleans and the doors of Houston uh, because of the kindness and the, and, and this, the um, concern that the citizens had opened their doors to us. And so we made our way to Houston. As we made our way to Houston uh, and tried to get settled, our entire church family was dispersed all over the United States. At that time we were part of a church that was over 7,000 members and our senior pastor, Pastor Fred Luther Jr., who is still my mentor today, poured into me, um, demonstrated to me what concern for the community looked like. Because even though he had lost everything he had yeah. as a pastor, he took it upon himself to go to all the major cities where the members were gathering. And on Sunday, he would be in Atlanta and then Baton Rouge. On the next Sunday, he would come to Houston and service the members who were there. Don't miss this. That even though he had suffered, as a pastor, he wanted to make sure that his members were still cared for. Hmm. That's selflessness. And what he did is not just a responsibility of a pastor. What James is doing is not just a responsibility of a pastor. It's a responsibility of every, every believer. So when you evaluate your life, who are you living your life for? Because when Christ is the center of your life, you take on the characteristic of Christ. And you become a servant to all. Lastly, let me go ahead and share with you Philippians 2, 3 through 4. 
God's word says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. God is calling us, church family, to have a willingness to put the needs of others before ourselves. And what motivates this is that that's what our Savior did. See, our Savior, when he came to earth, he had our needs on his mind. And his agenda was to do what it took to help meet our needs. Because we were lost. We had no place where we belonged. We, we were all lost in sin, but in his love, he came to get us. He demonstrated the life of a servant by taking our sins to the cross, bearing the penalty of our guilt and shame so that we could be set free. And when you know your Savior has done that for you, when you know your Savior came and, and served that way, the only appropriate response of the believer is to live your life in a life of service. And I want to call you to begin to evaluate those areas in your life where, where we haven't been serving well. We've gotten too self-absorbed. What did Daylight Soul that said, me, myself, and, and I? Yeah. Or, or maybe you don't know them. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the Beatles. Um, I, me, and mine. But no, he's calling us away from selfishness to selflessness. Because this is what I've learned, brothers and sisters. When you live the life of a servant, you're looking out for others, and there's one who's looking out for you. Oh, you missed it, didn't you? That when you are following Christ and you're doing what Christ has called you to do and you're, you're stepping out and sacrificing for others, God is looking out for you. And I don't know about you, but I've been living long enough to know that God can look out for me better than I can look out for me. Because God has been better to me than I've ever could be to, my, to myself. There's somebody here. You're hearing what Christ has done for you. And you know that you may have been there. You may have been stuck in, in that world of, of selfishness where you're made it, you made it all about you, but you find that there's, there's emptiness there. You find that there's, there, there, there's no hope, that when, when you're done bragging on the profiles and what you want everybody to see, then there's still that, that loneliness, that you're looking for belonging and you're feeling you're looking for value. And that longing you feel can only be fulfilled when you give your life to Christ. God wants you to know him personally. In fact, he welcomes you to get to know him personally. He said, come. Come, all who are burdened, all who are weary, he said, and I will give you rest. I'll change your life till you'll see it's 
better to give than to receive. He said, I'll, I'll transform your life so that it won't be lived out selfishly, but generously. Because the more generous you are to others, you'll learn the more generous God will be to you. And his love will just flow through you and go out to others. Because your life has been transformed by his grace. Would you bow your heads all over the building? See, the letter of James calls us to live out what we say we believe. It begins by being obedient. Because if we're going to hail Jesus as king, we must follow him as he's on the throne of our hearts to lead our lives. In the moment, as you're evaluating your life, I'm going to pray for you. And if you're that person and you said, you know what, it's time for me to leave out from the darkness and come into the light. It's time for me to, to overcome selfishness and learn to live as my Savior, thinking of others. Then I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to invite you to respond by saying yes to Jesus Christ. So with your head bowed. Father, it's in the name of Jesus we come before you, thanking you so much for your word, thanking you for how you challenge us to first see how you came, our Savior, as a servant. And as a servant leader, you, you lead us out of darkness into a life of hope, a life of peace, a life of everlasting joy, because you're right there with us. There are those right now who want to make that decision. So we ask the Holy Spirit that you would touch their hearts and continue to convict their minds that on this moment, they're going to say yes to Jesus Christ. Believers, be praying right now that God will transform someone's life. And listen, if that's you, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if today you're saying yes, I want to follow Jesus, yes, I want to make it real. I want a personal relationship with him. If that's you, just lift your hand up. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed, if you're saying yes to Jesus Christ on this day, just, just lift your hand up. We want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. We want to celebrate what God wants to do through your life. If you're saying yes, you're coming out of darkness. You're going into light. I ask that you would respond now. And in a moment, I'm going to ask that you lift up your eyes. And right now, on the count of three, we're all getting ready to stand and celebrate what God is doing in this place. One, two, three. Come on, let's stand and celebrate what God is doing in this place. Prayer partners, why don't you come? Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.